What's good, everyone? My name is Jacob Moses, and welcome to another episode of the Not Boring Tech Writer, where in each episode, we focus on a different skill that you can learn to enhance your skill set, improve your marketability, diversify your career, and ultimately break the stereotype that technical writing is a boring career. This episode's skill, researching as a tech writer. All of the help resources tech writers create, such as software documentation, video tutorials, or blog posts, require research. Imagine creating a document to explain a new feature before, say, even understanding how customers actually use the feature. Tech writers use several different resources to research the information they need, including conversations with developers and support, and reviewing support tickets. But if you're like many writers, we'll often seek too much information and face information overload, uncertain what to document. Or, as we'll learn from this episode's guest, we miss an opportunity to research the domain in which we work a must for any tech writer, no matter their industry. That's why in this episode, we have Margaret Ecker on the podcast, tech writer at Magento, an Adobe company, and somewhat longtime friend since our days hiking in the forest of Portland, Oregon for Write the Docs 2016. Margaret prides herself as a researcher, and countless times has witnessed her work and relationships with her colleagues flourish when she dedicates herself to understanding the domain in which her company exists. In this episode, Margaret shares how you can boost your research skills as a tech writer, including how tech writers traditionally research new features, why tech writers should research the domain in which they work, and which steps you can take today to boost your research skills. Big shout out to Knowledge Owl, a wonderful knowledge-based software product for sponsoring the Not Boring Tech Writer. And if you're looking for a tech writing gig or know someone looking for a tech writing gig, I got a cool opportunity for you. Do you know a tech writer who's passionate about customer service? and would be interested in a role in San Francisco? If so, Red Balloons is offering a $2,000 referral bonus. All you need to do is go to redballoons.co slash techwriter and refer someone or share your personalized link. Redballoons.co is a new recruiting platform that connects amazing people with great companies and rewards you for helping out. For more information, go to redballoons.co slash techwriter. And happy Halloween! Hey there, Margaret. How are you today? I'm doing great, Jacob. How's it going with you? Things are going good. How's life in Austin? It's really nice. We had a beautiful weekend. It's so nice. It's not 100 degrees. And yes. um, this is the best time of the year. Plus, it was Texas Book Festival. I didn't make it this year, but oh, fun. Oh, it was great, great time to be in Austin. Yeah, I'm happy to hear it. And Margaret, I was thinking back to, you know, the last time you and I have spoken. Believe it or not, I think it was been like three years. I think we were walking in the the trails of portland oregon yes at write the docs 2016 that's right yep too too long to not be yeah. chatting <laughs> yeah. what well, have you been working on since then <laughs> i've actually been doing different things i um i was working i've changed jobs a couple times and um i've now landed at started out at magento but now it's adobe and cool. uh, still doing uh technical writing and i've gone from sort of web the web hosting space at Rackspace and then I was yeah. on fleet management for a little while and now I'm in e-commerce and I've never worked on in the e-commerce 
other space before, so that's been kind of fun. Very cool. I'm happy to hear it. Well, Margaret, really excited to chat. We have a great skill to discuss today, and that is researching as a technical writer. I'm excited about this one. Um, this is one we haven't hit yet on the Not Boring Tech Writers, so really excited to hear what insights you have to share with us today. I'm curious, um, thinking back on your tech writing career, what have you observed throughout your tech writing career that inspired you to pick this skill for this episode? Um, I, I think one of the things I've observed is a lot of times writers do research and kind of get to know a subject in depth and you're able to add things to the, the product development process because you you know, within terminology and, hey, did you know that our competitors were, competitors were doing this thing? Um, and just providing context. And I think it's, a, I think writers can add a lot of that context because we are sort of looking at things from sort of a, uh, excavating the whys and trying to organize information and before we do the processes, you know, write down the yeah. instructions. And so I think that's what I've observed that having that research background is helpful. Um, and also being able to help users understand what they're doing, not just how to do it, so that when they run mm -hmm. into problems and troubleshooting, they actually can uh, make some progress because they know, they understand what they're doing, as opposed to I'm following these 10 steps and step five doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. It'd be nice to have an end goal in mind too, as opposed to just, you know, the sequential list of steps, like what I'm actually trying to <laughs> yeah. accomplish yeah, exactly. throughout this. Yeah. And I feel like research kind of gives you that. It's, it's really about context. Yeah. Yeah, I love that, Margaret. Um, thinking back on your tech writing career, did you find that you were a natural researcher or is it something that you really had to, um, you know, be mindful of to ensure that you're always keeping, you know, the end user's goal in mind and thinking about their own journey through the documentation? Or did this come pretty naturally to you? Um, the researching part comes really naturally. Um, one of the things that research can also be a bit of a rabbit hole because you can kind of go off and do lots of research. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. And so I think um, the, the actual research, because I'm curious and I, I also want to understand, um, you know, I've gone through, worked in a lot of different domains in my career. And the yeah. first thing that you have to do is figure out what the terminology, the concepts, the, you know, major players in, in each field. So you have that domain expertise. So that's all come mm -hmm. naturally to me. Um, and then trying to understand, you know, why we're doing stuff and then provide that to the user. I think one of the things that I've, I've had to learn and that shifted a little bit is as our apps have become more um, basically more for the general public as opposed to people sitting in the back office. Um, yeah. I think just that you, you have to find ways to incorporate that meaning without getting into a lot of detail. Um, and that's where I struggle as I, I'm a natural researcher, but I'm also interested in sort of the nuances and complexities of things. Yeah. Yeah. Our users are not always interested in that. They just want to. <laughs> so. Maybe you reserve it for an ebook later on. Yeah. <laughs> right. They want the cliff notes um, version. <laughs> yeah. Margaret, um, give us a few examples of some research you've done. You know, whenever I think about researching as a writer, specifically as a tech writer, you know, I'm so quick to think, okay, this is just reserved for, you know, interviewing that subject matter expert to ensure I know how the feature works before it rolls out in the next release. Mm -hmm. But from how you've just presented it, 
sounds like for the tech writer, researching goes well beyond just preparing solid questions for the subject matter expert. Looking back in your career, can you, can you think of a few other examples of where um, you know your research has been an essential skill to have? Um, yeah, well, I think I think one thing that can happen is um, those interviews with the subject matter experts. Um, sometimes there isn't a subject matter expert, or oh, the yeah. subject matter expert is not accessible. Yeah. And the other thing that I found is is if you sort of do some of this research and become at least understand the context of the domain that you're working in, it kind of makes your interactions with the subject matter expert go a little further because they see you mm-hmm. put in that kind of legwork um, um, in. But I actually think some of the other ways where I've um, used research myself is once I kind of understand things from like the, this new perspective is diving in on some things that are more challenging, you know, like things like terminology. Um, sometimes that can be really hard when you're trying to name a complicated feature and just going yeah. and research on, hey, you know, what are other people calling this? And, um, and you know, honestly, sometimes if it's really complicated, like in the security industry, um, I, I worked a lot in identity management um, when I worked at IBM. You know, going back and looking at research papers and seeing, you know, what their titles are and what their main subjects are. And that that's kind of helped me um, untangle some of the more complex areas that I've had to that I've had to document Um, just because I because one of the reasons it's confusing is because people tend to take these complexities. And by the time it turns into software, they've, you know, condensed a whole lot of stuff into a field name. And, um, and if the workflow is not right or, you know what I mean? There's things that are awkward about it. It's hard to fix it if you don't have that context. And this reminds me of, it might've been episode three. Um, we had Bree Hilmer, um, talking about just in time documentation. Yes. And that conversation was really interesting because, you know, like you said, Mark, with term terminology, you know, uh, the developer has a name for this product mm-hmm. yeah. or the action that it does yeah. or what yeah. the field name is. And yeah. likely since um, maybe they're documenting all this before the release, the tech right. writer follows suit, uses all that same terminology. Right. But then um, what Bree did with just-in-time documentation, once you create this feedback loop, you discover, oh, like my users are using a completely different term right. for what this product does. Like no yeah. wonder, no wonder they're they're struggling to complete this particular action there using oh, a yeah. completely yeah. different search term. Well, and the other thing you'll find is um, there's this informal. You know, we all do this when we talk about when we talk to people we're familiar with that we talk to all the time. We use these shorthands. Yeah, and we use things that are not exactly technically correct, <laughs> yeah. and that gets into the documentation. And sometimes you're calling things completely the wrong thing, and and that gets propagated through the organization, and then the customers come in, and you know they're the ones that sort of alert us to that confusion. Sometimes, yeah, you know, sometimes the confusion starts among ourselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I feel like uh, researching can kind of help. Just being, pre- I think, research is a way to. Um, of inform being kind of precise and exact about the way you're using terms and explaining concepts yeah i totally agree margaret i want to want to give you a scenario so say you need to document new features for an upcoming release this was something at my first um, tech Mm -hmm. writing gig something i did a lot and admittedly and you might might shake your head at me for this margaret (laughs) the the extent of my research was you know um 
developers would give us, uh, I forget what they call it, like a testing field um, mm-hmm. to test the new um, UI. Mm-hmm. And then I would just like go through it. And if things like made sense and seemed to work, I would document it. If I had issues, I would go back to the developer and ask him or her if that's how this was supposed to work. In retrospect, was there a different approach I should have had to researching these new features to make sure that they were correct and ready to document? I almost think that I should have just gotten started way earlier and maybe yeah, built some rapport would, with the developer earlier on before waiting for just this new UI to mess with. Yeah, well, actually, sometimes that's kind of how it happens. But um, a lot of times, and I think things have really changed with Agile. I actually go look for like user stories because um, hmm. if you have like um, user-driven development where you have a product manager, you know, the customers are asking for features. So I will go and look and try to figure out exactly what the feature, who, who's asking for this feature, why are they creating it? And sometimes you'll have, you know, user stories that will tell you that. Um, or, you know, you go and look at the Jira. I would do a lot of, I spend a lot of time looking at tickets and, mm. um, you know, because sometimes something's developed. And this is stuff that you can do before the UI is developed yeah. is developers are working on this stuff. What are they using for their sources to come up with their ideas? Um, and so kind of looking at some of those same sources. Um, but sometimes you do, you start out with, you don't, you don't even hear about it until you see the um, evidence of the UI feature that they, uh-huh. that happens actually a lot, but then I'll go and I, I will backtrack to the, um, the Jira tickets um, and whatever sources and development processes that um, the artifacts of that development can be very helpful for researching. Um, because again, sometimes there's things that are just, um, like an error, like a simple mistake on the part of the developer. And then there's other ones that yeah. are a mistake. And sometimes it's hard to know, is this just a simple mistake or is this a sign of something that requires a little bit more depth and going back and looking at those um, sort of primary artifacts helps me gotcha. learn that. <laughs> Have you noticed that, you know, embracing the nuance and complexity of different kinds of features and products has helped give you like a mutual respect from different kinds of developers. You know, I've spoke with many tech writers on this podcast where they want to get into developer documentation, but perhaps they don't have that shared language. They never worked with a developer. Right. You notice that taking these extra steps and understanding the domain and taking time to look at tickets and understand user stories has helped build that essential respect. Oh yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I mean, and, and you know, I remember growing, growing up, and this doesn't happen as much as it used to, but I remember like saying, "How do you, you know, asking how do you spell this?" And you know, it's like look it up in the dictionary, which is like <laughs> go to Google. But I think it, I think it's it shows some respect um, to the people you're working with if you try to understand sort of their domain rather than just coming in and expecting someone to sort of spoon feed everything to you. And that, that's, a, that's a little bit of a, um, a fine line. I think I err on the side of trying to do too much research and trying to understand too much myself. Mm-hmm. Whereas sometimes I need to, um, you know, understand sort of just enough before I could go talk to the, you know, the subject matter expert or the developer um, and then ask, you know, ask for them help for their help. And I think since we've all started using, well, not everybody, but we're using the open source um, documentation technique where you 
are doing stuff in GitHub and people are reviewing your PRs and everything happens out in the open. I, I think the cool thing about that is, is you can actually get a lot more speed because you're not figuring out every little thing by yourself and somebody will jump in and, you know, like say, like even, even writing things, it's like, you know, you've spent all this time writing something and I used to spend a lot of time making it perfect because I didn't have an editor and nobody else had time to look at it. Yeah. But now I've got other writers reviewing it and, you know, I can make it pretty decent. Another writer can come in and edit it really quickly Whereas if I tried to make it that perfect, it would have taken me quite a bit longer. So kind of kind of balancing that, knowing um, enough myself that I can go in with some knowledge, but then knowing when to ask for help uh, and, and use the knowledge of other people to uh, kind of speed up the process. Is this a common shift that we're seeing in technical writing, that folk are moving their documentation to GitHub? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think so. I think, I think it's, uh, I think it depends on the domain. I think it works really well in like developer type, you know, um, developer documentation. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you just have all these different people contributing. I don't know that it, you, it also requires you to have like this, a tool chain that has to be maintained. And I think in some, in some contexts, it's probably not the best workflow. Um, I think it's a great workflow if you're working in a development, a development technical environment. If you're writing more business documentation, things like that, I'm not so sure. Um, gotcha. Best. I think what what what's good about the GitHub process is it puts you all in the same context. If I'm working mm -hmm. on developer documentations and the developers are, you know, developing in GitHub and we're all in the same place, then it just helps us like work together more efficiently. Yeah. But one Absolutely. of the challenges we have is the business users aren't using that workflow, so so they're you know they're not as harder to get them engaged um, in GitHub because it's totally outside the context of the processes and tools that they're using on a regular basis. Oh, that makes sense, Margaret. And in, in retrospect, with my first tech writing gig, I wish that we were in an environment where we were working more in GitHub. Really, the only time that I spent in there was the week or two before release to see um, if there are any new features that needed updates. Yeah. Because golly, the first time I'd go in there, I'd be like, goodness, what is this place? Yeah. Because <laughs> I was just doing end user documentation, working in um, just a simple um, authoring tool. Yeah. A great skill to have, especially as a tech writer. Yeah. And also with Git, like talk, going shifting back a little bit to research is um, what I think is really cool is if I'm doing, you know, documentation, I can use GitHub to like look for stuff in the source code. Oh. Um, you know, like if, if there's a field yeah. name and it has, oh, the person didn't give me the default value or I don't know what type it is, um, I can just go look it up. Yeah. Um, and that, and I think that's where this, um, you know, it's, I don't, I don't know if democratizing is the right word, but when you put everything in one together, like in Google and everyone can search it or in GitHub, um, then, you know, you still have subject matter experts, but there's an awful lot of stuff that you can find yourself just through research. Yeah. Um, which, which then again, that you have to balance that. It's like, yeah, I could find this myself, but it's going to take me X amount of time, or I could just ask this developer for the answer and they could just tell me. Sure. <laughs> and that it totally makes sense. It depends on your relationship, I think, with the people that you're working with. Which yeah. Well, it, it kind of helps you to make your, like your own, like informed conclusions. Yes, like as you exactly. find that first initial like rabbit hole for your research, right. maybe you discover what you're looking for, but then all the context that surrounds it 
because um, right. tech writers are like like great, great. Yeah. Yeah. They, they come to good conclusions about the the kind of things that they need to documents and the user's uh, story and how it fits with it. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful, Margaret. Mm-hmm. Um, to wrap up, I'm curious. We have a lot of um, tech writers who listen to this podcast that work in end-user documentation. Mm-hmm. So imagine whenever they think about research, um, they really want to know. Um, they want to be able to ensure that what they're documenting aligns with how the user is actually wanting to use their product. Mm-hmm. We talked about just-in-time documentation. And again, listeners, mm-hmm. I'll include it in the show notes. really encourage you all to check out that episode. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed um, any other research strategies that's helped you discover or just at least um, give you some context to learn how users are using your product? We've been using, um, at my current job, we've been using a product called Hotjar, which, is, which it's actually got a feedback mechanism, but you can also like create heat maps. And um, my one of my colleagues recently, um, there's a feature you can activate where you can record the user's path through a document or, you know, through their session. And I think that's, that's super valuable way to find out how people are actually using your documentation. And of course, you know, Google analytics. And I think one of the things that happens is you get very caught up in actually getting the work done and you have all of these data collecting mechanisms that are available, but you don't necessarily have time to go look at them. And I'd say it's well worth looking at them. Um, and then also, you know, looking at user like forums and, mm-hmm. and just going to Google and, you know, I, I just searching for your product name and whatever particular field. And, you know, sometimes you find out, oh, gee, like this error that I'm trying to document is, you know, the top 10 lists on Google, you know, like wow. when I search for it, you know, yeah. everybody's having this problem and someone else has already documented it probably we should have it in our documentation. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's a good way to find things with your, you know, if you're working on a product and if users are having problems, even Twitter. um, I use Twitter for research all the time. Interesting. Seeing what people are tweeting about. Well, you know, if you got, you have a product, you just search for your product. And if you, you know, um, introduce a new features introduced, you can kind of find out sometimes through the back door, like, what are the other people in your company tweeting about your product and <laughs> find out really interesting information that way. Yeah. Um, and users, of course, now I don't work for a, you know, like Delta airlines or United or whatever, but um, you know, sometimes users will call, call out your product specifically. Yes. <laughs> well familiar with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so Margaret, thinking back on your tech writing career and all the great research you've done, have you made any discoveries that like you never thought you would have discovered about a particular product that you were documenting? I think I think one of the things that has been a little bit different for me working at um, working with Magento is a uh, that I currently work at. I think it's the first place that I've ever worked where I would go do like because um, Magento is a open you know an open source product and it's used mm-hmm. by all these different um, system integrators and there's lots of companies who serve customers and large communities and they actually have their own documentation. And so when you go search for stuff, our documentation doesn't come up first. Oh, wow. (laughs) That was, that was actually kind of a huge, um, I think that was one of the most interesting things that I'm adapting to now. And what's interesting to me about that is sometimes 
when I'm writing documentation, I'm actually learning from, um, you know, our, our, uh, the people that are using our product, the ecosystem, yeah. the Vento ecosystem. Um, yeah. And, you know, as I said, sometimes people have already written about your, what you're struggling with um, in your company because, you know, they're writing about it from, hey, I have this customer, this customer has this problem, we need to solve the problem. Whereas you're on the development side and maybe they're trying to make it so the customer doesn't have to have that problem. And, yeah. you know, meeting those two points um, is where you can get some real value to add to the documentation, I think. That's so interesting, Margaret. And I imagine it helps inform you about where these help resources should exist. Like in the example you just gave, maybe it's like, hey, like maybe we should consider creating like uh, magenta like help blog because that's like the kind of format where people are trying to find help yeah that's so yeah. interesting yeah there's just i mean there's just so much information available which is another reason why i think research is really important because yeah. and also you know knowing how to filter and you know how to find out if you're getting you know first sources and things like that um, but I, I think sifting through all this information is becoming a really key skill yeah and tech writer, if you're listening to this and feeling a bit overwhelmed by perhaps all the complexity and nuance of research, um, I imagine that within all of you, this is a, a natural skill that just with some time, maybe setting aside and researching the domain in which your product exists and different terminology probably will come pretty easy to folk. Would you agree, Margaret? This is a mm-hmm. natural skill that many of us have. Yeah, I and I think it. I actually laugh because your podcast is the Not So Boring Tech Writer. To me, I think the research and all these different concepts is what makes technical writing, which from the outside might look boring, but it's sort of very much um, very interesting because you're, there's all it these is. different types of information and technologies and ideas and new ways of doing things, and that's all driven by everybody's research, right? They're trying, you know, we're yeah. all trying to figure out ways to do things. Um, that's right. So it's to me, it's what makes writing not boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. Well, Margaret, this has been an absolute joy. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me and sharing your expertise as a researcher. If anyone wants to connect with you online, learn more about the great work that you're doing, where can people find you online? Uh, LinkedIn is the best place. Perfect. And listeners, I'll make sure to include that in the show notes so you can connect with Margaret. Margaret, thank you. This has been fun. Hope you have an enjoyable Monday. We will chat very soon. All right. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks, Margaret. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Knowledge Owl, creators of the wonderful knowledge-based software for sponsoring the Not Boring Tech Writer podcast. And thanks so much to each of you for listening to this episode. And if you're looking for a tech writing gig or know someone looking for a tech writing gig, I got a cool opportunity for you. Do you know a tech writer who's passionate about customer service and would be interested in a role in San Francisco? If so... Red Balloons is offering a $2,000 referral bonus. All you need to do is go to redballoons.co slash techwriter and refer someone or share your personalized link. Redballoons.co is a new recruiting platform that connects amazing people with great companies and rewards you for helping out. For more information, go to redballoons.co slash techwriter. Talk soon.